The subject of today's episode is going to broach the area of apostolic and pastoral conduct in what is termed the hypercharismatic slash NAR churches and what scripture has to say about the expected conduct and qualifications of an overseer in Christ's church. The clips presented are understandably not representative of leaders as a whole in this movement, nor is this a character attack on the charismatic church as a whole. This is presented to shed light and exposure on behaviors that are sadly present far more than acknowledged in the particular area deemed hyper-charismatic and new apostolic reformation. Please be advised in this episode, there are going to be clips that are highly disturbing containing language and actions that may be offensive, angering, and may even bring anxiety to those who have come out of this movement in simply hearing them. I want to be sensitive to those who may still be dealing with a level of charismatic PTSD, for lack of a better word, in coming out from under such spiritual abuse, and to help others who may be noticing these things. The Bible is helpful in this matter, and the Holy Spirit helps in the healing process. If you're ready, join me as we examine conduct from leaders in this movement, and we see what the Bible has to say on the matter. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Don Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. Opportunity to sow. Some of you, maybe you're, you, you know, you're easily offended. Maybe you need to sow a seed to break the back of all fence in your back. Maybe, maybe some of you. Here's a really good one. Maybe some of you are offended that I take up an offering every day, and that offends you. Maybe some of you dip off. Maybe some of you already dipped off. I see a number of you. At least 50, 50 people already dipped off. You know why? Because they're consumers. Some people just had to go to work, but because they're consumers, they t- they take, 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 eat, 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 eat. And then when it comes time to say a kind word or sow a seed or pray for somebody else, they dip out. They just dip out. I give you an opportunity to give because it requires finances to forward this ministry. I don't charge for these calls. I, I suppose I could have some kind of a, a you know, a system where people who want to be part of these could, could pay for that. I don't, you know, some things in the ministry we have to charge for because the technology requires it. This, I found a way to do it for free. And it's been a labor of love for four years. But I noticed that the, the numbers, just as soon as, as soon as I switch off this to taking up the offering, even though I'm going to do a teaching most days afterwards, people just start dipping off. Some people, some of you get offended because I'm doing this. Some of you are just waiting for me to shut up so I can do the end prayer. If that's you, you need to sow a big seed. And that probably really offended you. I'm, I'm trying to offend you. If you've got a spirit of offense over giving, I want to shake you up and stir you up today to where you'll either go get deliverance or stop getting on my prayer call and polluting it. Because there's somebody on here, and every time I go to take up an offering, you're cursing me. Oh, yeah, I'm just being straight up at it. You know, I slept three hours. I'm, I don't have, I don't need to be nicey-nicey this morning. Hallelujah. God loves a cheerful giver. If you have offense in your heart and you give to your church every week because you're obligated but you're mad about it, you need, you need, to, you need to get some help. Amen? You need to get some help. You need to get some help. People with a poverty spirit will always be offended when it's time to give. You know, you know what you need to do? You know, if you're offended, it's the first step to your deliverance. If you're offended, it's the first step to your deliverance. So if it offends you when I ask for money, that, mean, that means you need to give. I'm not trying to manipulate you. Get, go give it to somebody else. I don't care. I'm being, I'm being bold this morning because I'm on no sleep and I'm not playing games. Look, if, if you get offended every time I ask you for money, it's because you got, you got a poverty spirit or, or else you've got a greedy spirit. 
Amen. This is for the kingdom. This is to advance the kingdom of God. The following clip you just heard was from Jennifer LeClaire. And this was during, I think this was about four years ago when I find the, the clips for this. I heard it in the past a long time ago. But it was during a prayer call. She does the morning prayer calls that she does, I believe, at 6 a.m. She's done them for years. And I guess on this particular day, she was having a bad day. <laughs> it sounds like she didn't get a lot of sleep. And I'm not sure what that was in the background. I don't know if she was smacking something. That was not me doing that, by the way. But she was very upset and and to say the least. I mean, that that's a mild way to put it. But you can hear the things that she's saying on this prayer call, of all things. And she's she is manipulating people, um, whether she means to or not. She's manipulating people with her words. And it's, it's sheep beating is what it is. She's beating the sheep by by doing what she's doing, because it's it's very controlling. It's, uh, it's not gentle. It's not in a loving, kind way um, that this is being conducted. And so this, along with um, several other clips I have today, are going to be used in order to help us to understand some of the things that go on in the hyper-charismatic New Apostolic Reformation type churches, which Jennifer does identify herself as an apostle. Uh, When I was in this movement, I can't remember if it happened. It may have happened before I left, but she was a prophet for a long time to identify herself as a prophet she started her own um, awakening house of prayer that's in Florida and had other things going on. And then um, she became an apostle. So it, it's just interesting to watch the evolution of people sometimes, I guess, in this movement when you see what's going on. But of course, the apostle is at the top of the pyramid. And, you know, they people like to say that apostles are at the bottom. But um, this is this is not that. <laughs> Let me just tell you right now, there are people um, in these types of churches that if they view themselves an apostle, they do not believe that they will say that the verbiage and such. But when it comes down to it, they believe that they're at the top of the pyramid. This is a vertical type of networking. And I'm actually, uh, as a side note, I'm contemplating looking at the new document, the new declaration statement that just came out about the NAR. And it also talked about Christian nationalism. And I'm not really so much want to focus on that um, as much as I do the New Apostolic Reformation. So we may be looking at that in the near future. And there are some resources that I've come across, I've been reading, I think they'll be helpful for understanding, but I want to do a little bit more of research on that before I even consider doing that. So anyway, back to our topic today about the apostolic leaders and the spiritual abuse that does go on or the uh, misconduct, we could even say, if you don't want to call it spiritual abuse, which I think that you may find spiritual abuse in some of these I'm going to share today, but um, you can find about the misconduct that goes on. Now, how do we know that this is misconduct? How can we gauge this and and say and test it and say this is not how a a an overseer of a church or a ministry pastor is not supposed to to conduct themselves this is not the proper behavior of a godly uh, leader over a church or body in the body of Christ how are we supposed to determine that well it's really wonderful isn't it because we have scripture we have the word of god to give us instruction, divine instruction, to help us to know what the truth is. Today, I want to point to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, 
not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity and keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. We can also find the qualifications for an overseer of the church as well in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of, a, of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So here we see in two different passages of the New Testament— and I'm sure that we could find other areas to refer to as well. We see that there are indeed specific qualifications for an overseer of the church. And this applied to the apostles even then, which did exist, by the way. In the New Testament, they were also held to high standards. They were not giving out standards that everyone else had to agree to. Um, rules for thee, but not for me. You know, you've heard that statement before. That's not the way it worked. The apostles were equally held to a high standard. They were also to be above reproach and that they were to have these same characteristics because the ultimate goal is you're wanting a leader that's going to help take care of the flock that belongs to God. They're not going to abuse them. They're not going to beat them. They're not going to mistreat them. And they're not going to abandon them or forsake them or teach them improperly. They're not going to lead them down the wrong way. As a shepherd that's been put in place by God to steward them, they are going to do what God has told them to do, and they're going to live up to the high standard, knowing that they need Christ. They're not called to be perfect. They're not called to be infallible. But there is a standard for those that oversee churches, and Scripture makes that abundantly clear. And so as we look at these, we can see that there is conduct that both overseers, leaders in the churches, and lay people are to abide by. We all as believers in Christ are called to a higher standard in our conduct, in our behavior. As overseers of churches, these men are called to higher standards. Now you're going to note that Jennifer is obviously not a man. And we talked about that in a previous episode. Recently, if you want to check that out, it's called Old Sister, Where Art Thou? Where we talk about what the Bible has to say about women being in leadership roles over, over churches, calling themselves pastors, apostles, prophets, what have you, and overseeing a corporate body of believers. But today's topic, again, is the spiritual abuse or misconduct of leaders in this particular movement that a lot of us have come out of. So what happens when you have things going on like what you just heard on a simple prayer call. This was not in a, a corporate church gathering. It was actually inviting other believers to come on that are professing believers and, and join the prayer call. But what do you what do you make of this? What happens when you have this happen on a simple, simple prayer call from four years ago? So this is something to consider when you're listening to people that are online, if this is not the church gathering in a um, 
Sunday service where the offering, it sounds like though, that there was an offering that was uh, trying to be taken up in order for her ministry or not for her ministry since she was trying to tell people to give to other areas. But anyway, there's no communion being taken and such to my knowledge anyway. But what do you do with that? Well, I would not listen to that person anymore. And do we all have bad days? Yes, we absolutely have bad days. You know, this is not a good highlight reel for her. I'm sure that all of us have bad highlight reels that we would prefer that no one ever saw. I can raise both hands and both feet. There are highlight reels in my life that I'm sure that I would not want anybody seeing because it does not glorify Christ. This is not to um, crack a whip and to bring harsh condemnation on her or anyone else. We all have bad days. Even good leaders have bad days. And thank God that we can go before the throne of grace and that we can ask God to for forgiveness as we repent and we are convicted and quickened by the Holy Spirit and that we ask God to help us in our unrighteousness and in our behavior and actions and conduct and that we are led by His Spirit. Having said that, the, this is consistent behavior by some of these leaders. It's consistent. This is not a one-off Um, This is consistent behavior that goes on in this movement. So as we look at these examples today, which may seem extreme, but sadly goes on more than we know, I want to encourage you to go back to the passages of scripture we just read and see if this conduct fits. Whenever you're listening to anyone, whether you're sitting in a service and or a conference or whatever, you're listening to someone online and you're hearing kind of similar echoes of these things going on. I want you to pay attention. I mean, I encourage you to pay attention to what's being taught. Are, are you learning more about the scriptures or are you learning more about that person? Watch their conduct in, in the pulpit and how they conduct themselves. Ask yourself, are they abiding by the Titus 1, 5 through 9 model? Are they abiding by the 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 model? These are things that genuinely need to be asked and it's okay to ask. So let's look at some more examples. Here's another clip from an online stream that has now been taken down off of the person's page. They actually took this stream down. But it is available, thanks to the internet, it is available in clips from another channel. Now, the original message of the clip was directed at a particular individual in response to their videos that were analyzing and critiquing this minister. And the minister speaking calls himself an apostle. Some of you may be familiar with him. Some of you may not be. But his name is Alexander Pagani. So I think I've shared maybe a clip or two of him before in other talks about deliverance. But I found this interesting when I was listening to this. I came across it. And when I was just listening to him and seeing his mannerisms on the video, it was was sad. It was sad to say the least to see this. And I'm glad that he took the video down. Um, I think would have may have been um, an even more mature thing to do, honestly, is to address this on his own channel and to repent of his behavior on here because this was a public platform that he did this on. And it was um, it was very telling as far as some of some people that have dealt with people that have called themselves apostles that this is kind of some of the behavior that may be going on behind closed doors when you're having discussions with them and they view you as defecting. Let me just say that. So let me share some of the clips from that video for you. Look at this, uh, verse 31 and 32. To what then can I compare this generation of 2022? What are they like? They are like children 
sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. Okay, let me rephrase this for today. What can I compare to this generation on social media of 2022? What are they like? They are like immature children behind keyboards sitting in the marketplace of the internet and calling each other out on their channels. We have played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. Yeah. Oh, so I did a video about how false you are, Pagani, and Pagani don't even care. So I'm gonna do another one because I wanna see your reaction. No, no dancing here. And I'm gonna keep doing it. And I'm gonna keep saying that you're false. And I'm gonna keep saying because you don't wanna talk to me. You don't wanna talk to me. Hey, childish. Now, when I post this on YouTube, <laughs> this, this is ironic saying this and, and the topic he's talking about if I'm posting on YouTube. But when I post this on YouTube, you'll be able to see the video clip. Um, and you'll just be able to appreciate more some of the mannerisms to go along with this. And I want to look at, uh, he quoted Luke 7, 31 through 32. So uh, let's go ahead and turn there and we're going to take a look at that for just a minute. Now, when we go into the Gospel of Luke, and we're in chapter 7, we back up to verse 18, we see some of this in the context of what's being said in 31 and 32. When the messengers from John the Baptist, they reported all the things to him about Jesus, and John calls two of his disciples to him, and he sent him to the Lord, and this is when John the Baptist was in prison, and he asks if Jesus is the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus responds to his disciple and, and tells them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, in verse 22, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And um, when John's messengers had gone in verse 24, I'll pick up there. So Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then you go- did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? Now, who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the lawyers that rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him, by John. And Jesus says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you. And you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. 
In one of my commentaries that I have, I looked up for today as an example, the Moody Bible Commentary. So when I look this up, for the particular verses of Luke chapter 7, verse 31 through 35, just to get a little bit more insight from a different perspective, it says under here that Jesus' rebuke was directed at the religious leadership that had rejected John. His point was that neither John's asceticism and stern message of the need for repentance, nor Jesus' message of healing and hope, his welcoming of sinners was satisfactory to the self-appointed arbiters of taste and wisdom. The leaders were like petulant children who refused to play when John and Jesus did not play what they wanted. So that kind of gives you a little bit of perspective. If you're doing a Bible study, I just use this as a quick example. It's always good to have some commentaries. Obviously, that's not a thus saith the Lord. It's not equal to Scripture. It's just a good study resource when you're studying the Bible just to kind of get a better understanding. There are people that have studied the Bible longer than I've been alive, and they have some perspective that they can offer, and there are some commentaries that are one or 200 years old that you can easily go to as well. Matthew Henry is another good one that you can look at. There's lots of good commentaries. So I encourage you to do that in addition when you're doing some Bible study to get, to help you further in your understanding historically and, and what was taking place and the history of what was going on at that time. But this verse has nothing to do with what Pagani just said. And so he's almost using it in a way it sounds like at least to mock this person, this individual, and he's calling them childish. And let me just say this, if if you have a public teaching, believers, we have that right to test things that are being stated. And what we do find in particular ministries in this movement, just as an example, again, I know this is not an isolated incident. I know it goes on in other places. So for the sake of this discussion, I'm talking about this movement in particular. But what I have seen and what others have seen and observed is that you cannot approach these leaders. Some of these leaders are higher up. They have people around them that protect them. They are almost looked at as untouchable. You can't approach them or go to them. You don't want to interrupt their their flow or their anointing. And certainly they view themselves as being untouchable. Some of them do. Some don't, but some do. But nevertheless, you cannot just easily approach these people and talk to them and also, too, you'll find that they'll block you if you try to even comment and and to disagree in any way. A lot of times they will block you. They will not permit you to say something because they don't want dissension. They don't want people to question and to use critical thinking. So that's just an example right there. But I'm going to play a little bit more of this so you can get an even better understanding. It gets worse, in my opinion, with Pagani, with what he does. And again, it makes me wonder, you know, was it, did he get convicted or did he get blowback from this video? And that's why he took it down. You, you'll just get to take more in. And from there, you can make your own judgments based on scripture. We're not judging his eternal destination. We're making a righteous judgment in accordance with scripture based on his conduct to say, is this truly an apostle? Is this truly an overseer of, and uh, how an overseer of a church conducts himself? Not childlike. The text says, what shall I liken this generation? For they are like immature children sitting in the marketplace, calling each other out. Why? Because reaction is the new currency. And Pagani is from the Bronx. And my silence is going to kill your bank account. Well, that is interesting right there. <laughs> and again, when you see this on when I upload it onto YouTube and you see the video, 
and you see the mannerisms you cannot appreciate on the podcast, but he's almost like he's twi- um, um, moving his fingers around in a, in a diabolical kind of way. I don't know how else to put it. It reminds me of the old cartoon where the guy had the long mustache and he would twist his mustache while he's um, laughing and plotting his next diabolical move. And I'm not saying Pagani is diabolical or anything like that. It just reminded me of that. And and the way that he said this, it was denigrating. It was demeaning and belittling. And it continues along this same path. For your channel to pay your mortgage, I'm going to empty your bank account by killing it, by never responding to you. You're not even, you have not even earned the right to be heard. I will be I will be silent until Christ comes and you will spend the rest of your days enraged as to why. Why? Because grown folk don't respond to children in the marketplace. Oops, I mean in their channel. Oops, I mean you a child and I'm not going to respond to children. Did you catch what I just said? I'm going to watch you be so mad. That Pagani don't want to talk to you and, and, and have a dialogue. No. That's that little kid in you rising up. And you can say whatever you want to say. You get nothing. Nothing. But yet he made that video. So he did do something. See, that's that's the ironic part about it. But I, I hope that you notice something from this this clip from Pagani. Again, I, I don't have the whole video because he deleted it. All that is available is this particular individual that's addressing it and talking about it, the fact of how he conducted himself during this live stream that he did on YouTube. This is coming from an individual who identifies himself as an apostle, a big A, five-fold ministry apostle in the church. And I would ask you again, what does 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 say? Does this demonstrate the, the conduct of an overseer? Is this what Titus 1, 5 through 9 shows? Is this person being gentle, kind, unquarrelsome, hospitable? Is his conduct becoming of an apostle and of an overseer of a church? That's the question that we need to be asking. And sad to say, it's not. Um, And obviously, he must have seen something wrong with his conduct, or maybe, he again, he got some pushback from it. But I wish he would have done a video to um, address his conduct, I think that that would have shown some level of spiritual maturity to acknowledge, I was in error here, this was sinful behavior. Maybe he did do it, maybe I didn't see it, and if, and if he did and I didn't see it, then I apologize. But it would have been nice to see that from someone addressing their own behavior. So the next clip in this topic here today the next few are actually going to come from corporate gatherings. And the first clip is from a service earlier this year where a man, a pastor that's in Tennessee, his name is Greg Locke. Some of you may be familiar with him. Um, I don't think he identifies himself as an, an apostle, but he does affiliate himself with people that are in this movement. And that is the main reason why I bring into the, into this topic today. But he had this to say um, this year when he was with his congregation, they have tent meetings And he talked about a deliverance session. He told his congregation that a demon spoke to him through this lady that had barely been going to their church very long at all. And according to him, this demon divulged to him the names of witches in his church. And again, I want you to take this in, whether you're in the podcast or you're on YouTube when you watch this, and test it against scripture. 
The bus was coming to pick me up the other night. We left out to head to Wallace, North Carolina. The bus was showing up at 9 o'clock. We changed the time from midnight. The bus come to get me at 9. We had this precious little gal. Had them both at first, but her husband had to sit down steps. Downstairs, he looked like he stepped in something. We had them from 5.30. Took about an hour for full-blown manifestation to happen. And when it did, it was crazy. But God strike me dead if I'm lying right now. God strike me dead. It got to be about 8.35, 8.40. And that little gal with the evilest grimace on her face you've ever seen. Turned around and looked right at me and said, It's almost 9 o'clock. Your bus is here. Looks like you're leaving. It's almost 9. Kiki, my time through? 9 o'clock, Greg. I said, let me tell you something. My wife will stay here all night. I might have to catch a bus, but you coming out tonight in the name of Jesus, whether I'm on a bus or not. Now I mute you in the name of Jesus. Shut up and come out. That demon that was in control of the rest of them and that girl started whining on each other. Started telling secrets. It was so crazy, we had to write it down and did get part of this just kind of on a secret video not to share with everybody, but the demon even caught wind of that and said, you gonna use the video to help people? You can't even pull out a camera about them slimy things knowing it. Laugh at me all you want to. Don't come back next week. That's all right. There's gonna be thousands of people that show up by spring that want some deliverance from this nonsense that you're discounting right now. This ain't no sci-fi movie. This is your pay. You've known me for 15 years. I'm a truth teller. At the expense of my own life and safety of my family, I'm a truth teller. And that devil, we wrote them all down. That devil gave us the names first and unsolicited information until it started pouring forth. And then we commanded it in the name of Jesus. Gave us the first and last names of the six witches that have been sent as plants at Global Vision Bible Church. Now... It's going to get a little bit more heated here in just a minute. I know this sounds pretty low-key, and if you're familiar with Greg Locke, he he has a bit of a temper on him, and he he does stand up for, he's pro-life, I appreciate that. There are things that he stands up for that I agree with, but his conduct is highly uh, questionable. Uh, When we're talking about this particular conduct here, it's going to get worse, But the thing that I want to draw your attention to in addition to that is this. When have you known a demon, to to be honest? We know that the scripture tells us that Satan is the father of lies. Jesus said that himself. So I find it interesting that he's taking counsel. That's what he's doing. I mean, while he's doing this deliverance ministry, he's also receiving the counsel of this demon and essentially calling these people witches. I don't know the full story of what's going on. This is just, again, an example of what is going on from a pulpit in the corporate church. I just found that interesting that he's listening to this demon and taking everything that's said at face value. First and last name, I promise. Unbelievable. First and last name. We got some folks, we're about to raise up. They know it's about to happen. Amen. Hallelujah. They know it. Gave us the first, my wife writing down the first and last name of the witches. Now, here's the interesting thing. Remember that debacle we had last week when I jumped in the chips and I told you who the witch was? I say six were named because they ain't been dealt with yet. It named them. It named the ones that I mentioned last week under this tent as a full-blown spell casting witch. Even the devil will expose the devil. And you can walk over my office right now. To God be the glory, I lie not. We got first and last names of six witches 
that are in our church. And you know what's strange? Three of you are in this room right now. Three of you in the room right now. You better look in my eyeballs. We ain't afraid of you, you stinking witch. You devil-worshiping Satanist witch. We cast you out in the name of Jesus Christ. We break your spells. We break your curse. We got your first name. We got your last name. We even got an address for one of you. Yeah. You so much as cough wrong, and I'll expose you in front of everybody on this tent, you stinking witch. You spell-casting, pharmakia, devil-worshiping mongrel, you. You were sent to this church to destroy us. You were sent to this church to lure us in. You were sent to this church to cast spells. Listen, some of you been sick because you befriended that witch. And I'm going to go ahead and serve notice on you right now. Don't move. I'm in the mood. Two of you in my wife's ladies' Bible study, and you know who you are, and we're going to ask you to get out, or I'll expose you in front of everybody. Stinking witch, we ain't playing your witchcraft games. We ain't playing with you bunch of Freemasons. We ain't playing with you Satanists, you bunch of devil worshippers. We ain't playing your games. I'll call you out right now in the name of God and not even break a sweat. Then why didn't he do it? That's what I don't understand. Why just why this theatrical production? Why not just do that? Or why not do church discipline? If these people are calling, if there's truly people in the church that are calling themselves witches, which we don't know that, he's calling them that based on this demon's counsel that he gave to him while doing the deliverance on this woman. If he believe, if these people that he has the first and last names to and even an address. And they are professing believers, and then they are counseled with one-on-one and found to be that, you know, and take two or three witnesses, you know, doing what Scripture tells us to do in accordance with, with what the Word of God says, with proper church discipline. This is over-the-top, unnecessary, and if you felt like, if you knew that you had someone in your church that was opposing you, wouldn't you present the gospel to them? Why would you, why would you do this? Why would you not present the gospel to them and be loving and do the most loving thing, which would be to present the truth to them, call them to repentance. If you did find that they were in conduct that was not lining up with scripture and that was more aligned with the mind, the the prince of the power of the air and presenting the gospel to them. But no, this is, instead we, we have this. So th- this is what continued to transpire is, t- is talking about this. And there may be more to this story that I'm not aware of. Again, this is just an example that I'm showing you. It's going to con- continue to escalate with these clips. Um, the very last one that I have for you is, is a pretty rough one. So I just want to prepare you ahead of time. Yeah, this is one I'm not going to continue to play Greg Locks, but you can kind of get an idea of what's going on there. And um, again, there's other examples of things that he's done uh, in this similar type of vein of conduct. Now, in my search for this subject, I did come across a service from 2021 at a prophetic conference called Shamar. And you may be familiar, this is um, the apostle that I sat under, Ryan Lestrange. I was not, obviously not in this meeting because this was in 2021, this was last year, but he was preaching on David and the five smooth stones, which this is a message that I'm familiar with. He ministered this before, at least uh, once, if not twice, when I sat in services. And the he talks about David and the five stones, and he likens the five stones to the fivefold ministry. 
And he talks about being a smooth stone that God um, takes the sharp edges off of you so that you can be used and that you need to be refined and, you know, all, all the different things that he uses for, for that story, which that has nothing to do, by the way, with the, the whole account of David and Goliath. But we're going to see from this, the, the clips I share, I think there's two I want to share with you from this service. Uh, we're going to see what he has to say during the service, aside from talking about David and the fivefold as far as his um, teaching on the, the stones in the pouch. We think the ministry of apostles is miracles. That's secondary. The primary ministry of an apostle is distribution. You can't distribute what you do not possess. Let me go a little bit further and I may demonstrate it tonight. Most people only know how to function in a gift when they get stirred. Bible says Saul got in the company of prophets and turned into another man. He was stirred. The problem is, you know why we've all missed church so much? Because we really found out our own faith and anointing level when we weren't stirred anymore. Now we weren't so deep because we weren't stirred. Ah, y'all just got mad at me. I don't care. The devil is a liar and his aunt too. I just missed them services. And you were given a dollar offering every time. The devil is a liar. Quit tithing because it ain't the same when it's online. China there got the largest church in the world meeting in homes. We're upset. I, I miss my building. No, you miss being stirred because now you got to pray for yourself. I will say this. Some of the stuff that he's saying, I, there is some truth to this. I mean, where he's coming from and saying, you know, those that go to these particular types of gatherings, they missed it during the pandemic. They missed going because they they didn't they like to be stirred up. And there is some truth to that. And maybe that's something that some of these churches should examine as to why people are dependent upon that stirring. That should tell you something right there, that there is not spiritual maturity that's being established in these people. If they are wanting those things to happen, and that's what they're basing their walk with the Lord on, that is most definitely a problem. I would agree with that. Having said that, the way he's saying it, again, it's kind of like this mild sheep beating, you know, this basically saying, well, you know, you're mad at me and I don't really care. The devil's a liar and, and, you know, adding some hype to it and different things. But, um, we'll play a little bit more. And then there's one more clip from this same service I'm going to play. And I've played other stuff before I thought about playing the service that I was in, but I think I've shared that before. And it was a lot of this same type of talk, a lot of the same type of conduct, behavior, mannerisms, uh, being very abrasive when talking. So let's see what else he had to say. Now you got to deliver yourself. Now you got to heal yourself. Now you got to encourage yourself. Don't tell me you're a prophet and you're ready to quit every week and somebody else got to stir you up. Listen, when Paul and Timothy had a problem, he apostle me. Paul said, stir yourself up. You better stir yourself up. Don't you ask to stir nobody else up if you can't stir yourself up. I believe the stones God is about to loosen this hour. You got to learn to stir yourself up. Well, you need to learn how to read your Bible and to have your faith turn towards the Lord. And let's go to that passage in context really uh, briefly, too, and see what it says about stirring yourself up. Second Timothy chapter one, beginning in verse three, Paul tells Timothy, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Verse 6, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
So this is to fan the flame. The KJV says to stir yourself up. So Paul is encouraging Timothy to not um, give in to being fearful of using the gift of God, which is to minister the word of God to others as an overseer in Ephesus. This is a lot of the way that Ryan ministers is that he has a very charismatic way about him, not just in as a, as a charismatic, but he has a very charismatic behavior to him that he is, he, he is able to command the room, if you will, when he speaks and such. But the problem is, is that having charisma does not always equal being biblically sound. And so that's the thing is that, that we miss a lot of times is that we think that because somebody has um, eloquent speech or they're able to c- command the room with their speech or they have good public speaking abilities and, and such that that is what deems them fit to stand in a place. Again, we go to t- uh, Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7, Titus chapter 1 verses 5 through 9. Is the conduct we're seeing is that... a um, matching up to what we see in scripture. There's one more clip I want to play for you that I found very interesting when I was listening to this service. So again, you can test it and see what you think for yourself based on what scripture says. I kind of rebuke two of these guys. I won't say the names because I asked a celebrity friend of mine to come sing at one of my pop-ups and they were concerned about the glory level. And I said, first of all, if all you want to do is pastor church people and you'd be concerned about that. But I'm called to the world. I'm called to nations. I'm called to politicians whose I think their plans are evil. But if I've got a word from the Lord for them, I'm called to them. I'm called to celebrities that I think might think are demonized. But if I've got a word from the Lord for them, I'm called them. I said, second of all, my anointing is an atmosphere in and of itself. I don't need a worship team. I don't need someone to pray before I preach. I can walk in when nobody wants anything. And I'm carrying my own atmosphere. Why? Because I learned this thing on the carpet. I got my anointing in the carpet. I know how to pray. I know how to break. I know how to open up a heaven myself you can just watch me work and get in with me i said i'm not bound by the worship team i'm not bound by the microphone i'm not bound by the sound system i'm not bound by the hunger of people why because i'm a smooth stone that has been through some stuff baby i've had my edges knocked off i've had my edges rubbed off i'm a smooth stone This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I thought it'd be good just to read Titus 1, 5 through 9 again at this point before we get started with the next clips, but also just to point you back to the, that passage as well as well as uh, uh, chapter as well as Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7, because again we need to be reminded of what Scripture says. Now. Going back to what Ryan just said, you may not see, you may be asking yourself, well, what is, what's the problem? He was preaching during that. It was during a conference. But I want you to notice some of the things that he did um, in the second clip. In particular, he's he talks a lot about, he points back to a lot of his own accounts, his own stories. And um, 
he talked about his own anointing, that he has his own anointing. He, and it's very much of a, like a puffed up type of um, persona when when you hear this. You, you catch on that there's very much a focus on self. And so that, that was something that I noticed. And again, you can hear other clips that I've done in the past uh, when I've been in services that I, when I used to be part of this church and, you know, judge them for yourself with righteous judgment based on scripture. I don't want to judge his appearance because that's, and, and other things like that, because that's not what God instructs us to do as far as when we're um, testing and judging with righteous judgment, what someone is teaching. What I want to present to you again is what are the qualifications of an overseer of a church? And he does oversee a church in uh, Atlanta now. And some of these other ministers, they oversee churches, they oversee ministries. What are the qualifications? Is this individual uh, abiding by the qualifications that God has established in his word? That is the ultimate authority that we go to at the end of the day. Scripture. Scripture is the authority. So this final example I want to share seems rather extreme. And so I want you to be prepared. And you may be thinking I'm over-exaggerating, and I I am not over-exaggerating. This is Michael Petro, who calls himself an apostle. Now, I have debated on doing a future podcast on him, and I may or may not. And if I do, it may take me a while to get to that because I want to do, if I do um, approach this, I want to be thorough in my search, in my research on this. I was introduced to some of his teaching by a sister in Christ, and um, there were concerns that were brought up. And so I checked him out and immediately major red flags went off. But he calls himself an apostle. Uh, he has a ministry called The Voice of Healing. And when I heard that, he has a radio broadcast and he also, his church is called Voice of Healing. And when I heard that, I thought, Voice of Healing, I've heard that before. Where have I heard that? It took me a few minutes, but then it hit me. That's William Branham. Like I remember a magazine that William Branham had called The Voice of Healing magazine. Well, when I went to go research Michael Petro on his website, lo and behold, he mentions the the latter rain movement from the 40s and 50s. And he talks about William Branham and that he took the he the Lord led him to trademark that name. He wanted that trademark picked up. And so he named his church that. It's the voice of healing. And so this does come from William Branham. And um, when you listen to some of the teachings that Michael Petro brings, he talks about that he believes he's the seventh angel that William Branham prophesied about. And that he also says that he's Elijah. There are things that he is saying that are similar things that William Branham said. And if you want to hear more about William Branham, I encourage you to go online. You can look on Daniel Long's channel, Stephen Kozar's channel. You can even find John Collins, who came out of William Branham's message cult, which is what it was. You can, uh, his grandfather, I believe, was a pastor there for decades for William Branham's church after William Branham passed away in a car accident in 1965. But you can find a lot of good resource material because it's so vast and there's more information coming out. I know that William Branham is someone that's talking talked a lot about and he's elevated in these in this movement and I want to tell you right now this is someone that you do not need to listen to his teaching uh, Michael Petro nor do you need to listen to William Branham's teaching it is um, there's a lot of disturbing stuff in there a lot of disturbing stuff and there were things that we were taught in this movement I was certainly taught this especially when you look at Robert Slairdon's book God's Generals and I was taught this in the quote Bible college I was in when we had to read God's Generals as one of our uh, classes 
that we were taught, well, you know, the, the generals were great men and women of faith. And yeah, they may have missed it here or there. And some of them, um, you know, they went off in the end. William Branham was off the whole time, guys. It was not that he was off at the end. He was off the entire time. There are some serious issues with his teaching, even if you're familiar that he was affiliated with Jim Jones. He, he ministered at Jim Jones's church, the People's Temple. And if you know anything about Jim Jones, he was the one that had the church that he took, committed mass suicide in 1977 with cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. So if you're familiar with that. But anyway, do your own research on that. So here are some clips of Michael Petro, who um, has aligned himself with the, the Voice of Healing trademark for his church ministry. He refers to William Branham quite a bit. And I'm, again, one last warning. I'm going to prepare you. There's language um, in one of these clips that is disturbing the way he talks. He believes he can condemn people to hell and that he's going to judge people. And, and I, again, I'm not exaggerating. So I'm getting ready to play um, a series of clips for you from Michael Petro. You sat in a house that preached this for years and never prepared yourself. Some of you are still babies. You will spend eternity in the seventh level of hell because you decided you were too good to listen. We were fooling around and doing what you wanted to do. You have people getting here from other nations to get ready. And if you don't think this is Jesus talking, right. Jesus got rid of 5,000 people. He got rid of 3,000. And he got down to 120. 120 to one of the listen. We have come to the end of days. And you can look at me cross-eyed. But I'll prophesy to you right now. You are on your way to hell. If you don't make yourself right tonight. I'll tell you that right now. Now, when he says make yourself right, what I have found in these clips that I find, because it's hard to find his complete teachings other than his radio programs, his, his understanding of making it right is to follow the apostles' teachings. There's another clip I don't that uh, he talks about. He kicks people out of his church for not listening to his prophecies about Trump. And so because they didn't heed the apostles' teaching, they're condemned to hell because of that. There's no mention of the gospel from what I hear. There's no presentation of the gospel in accordance with scripture and understanding why someone is um, condemned. And it's not because of not listening to his teachings. It's because of not putting their saving faith in Christ alone to save them from the wrath of God. There's a big difference in that. Five days ago, the Lord said those people that have come against what you've done and spoken against you, The Lord said to me, he said, their time is over. I've given them time to repent, and now I will remove them. Yesterday, I get a call, yesterday morning. The the guy that stole a million dollars from me just dropped dead. The pastor, just Brian, just dropped dead. Right after the Lord said to me, their time is done. And I'm telling some of you right now, your time is done too. Because you've played around with the wrong person. You've played with God. Everything you've heard these people say, I've said it over and over and looked at your scowls and the way you look back at me, thinking I didn't know what I was talking about. And now you're finding God's verifying what he told me. 
It's just, it's just a short time before that judgment falls on you too. Because you want to play with God. You want to play with his servants. You want to play church and not be the church. The word's already being released. The word's already being verified and confirmed by two or three witnesses. So it is what it is. And shame on you. If you didn't believe the word of the Lord that came across this pulpit. Shame on you that you thought you were better than the word of the Lord that came from this pulpit. Shame on you. Because you're going to stand judgment day, which is, it's days in front of us. And, you know, you still have this church. You're going to tell me you're done away with them by what I see there. Lord, this is a very hard pill to chew on. This is, this is difficult. And then all of a sudden, here comes the early church fathers. And it's like, case closed. Amen. Drop the mic. This thing is done. This thing is over. You can't sway me out of that because first the Lord gave it to me. Again, through the visitations, through many uh, uh, opening of my mind and, and understanding the different things of his kingdom to the point. Now, here's the early church confirming. I don't give a flip what any pastor says. I don't care what any denomination has to say. I've been taught by the spirit of God. I've had Jesus come and talk to me. I've been trained up by angels and I have the early church to confirm everything to say it was all holy, righteous, and good according to the kingdom of God and according to his way of doing things. So in the way the Lord read the, uh, wrote the Bible, he wrote that Bible in me. And he said, you're my epistle written in flesh, seen and read of all men. I've created you in the same way I created those prophets of old. So whoever has anything to say about them, my judgment over them is you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit of God because you blasphemed the messenger that I brought to bring the message. He's paid a price. He's walked through hell to bring the message to you. And anybody that would speak against what I've written in his heart, God damn you. God damn you into the eternal pit of hell where you belong because you have come against the teacher and the messenger. Touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. I don't raise prophets and apostles up in Bible cemeteries. I don't raise apostles and prophets up some in some uh, school out of some book. I raise them up in my presence. I raise them up in that place where they hear my voice. Yeah, just when you think that you haven't heard the you've heard the worst just when you think that you've heard personally uh someone say something that's egregious then it, you just realize that it just goes to a whole other level and it, this is really disturbing when listening to this i have two more clips i want to play for you briefly and then we're going to talk at the end about again about this uh topic but this the this talk is very disturbing i mean he's equating himself with the word um, talking about how people have blasphemed him by not listening. They blasphemed God by not listening to him. It sounds like he's referring to the scripture where Jesus talks to the Pharisees about that. And there are scholars that take the perspective of Jesus is talking about that the Pharisees blasphemed Jesus in his earthly ministry because the Holy Spirit is working through him and it is evident to them and they blaspheme anyway. So there are some scholars that take that perspective on that, but he's equating himself in a divine type way. This is this is unbiblical behavior. I hope that you can see that. This And this is very disturbing um, 
and it's very alarming and abusive type of behavior that does not allow for questioning, for critical thinking, for biblical discernment. And um, again, Tim- Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Titus 1, 5 through 9, test and see for yourself against what he's saying. Let's listen to a couple more clips. People that are sitting here right now, I'm going to have to remove you. I'm going to have to send you to hell because I tell you and I tell you and I tell you and you just look at me with that empty face. Don't do this. Don't do that. You just look at me. You go, then the next thing I know is doing it again. Doing it again. Don't do that. Listen, don't be an imbecile. I lived in a closet so that you could get the revelation. When I could have been working for my family, making a quarter of a million dollars a year. But I stayed in a closet to get you ready. So I expect you to get something done. I expect you to get this work. Because if I don't see you get it done, you can better believe that's what I'm going to do with you. Forget you. You can go take a hike. Because I'll drop you like a hot potato. If I put this much time in you and you haven't done nothing with this revelation, I don't need you at all. I need to prune you off of this vine because you're probably the ones that are all with the chirping and the baby stuff. I don't want babies. Notice how he says he prunes the vine. That is not what John 15 says. John 15 says that the father prunes the vine. So again, look at what he's saying here and see if it matches up with scripture, which I would argue that it does not. And it is highly abusive behavior that you're seeing conducted here. There's one more clip to share. What do you think the judgment seat of Christ is going to look like? Huh? Well, I didn't believe Mike Petro until you see me sitting up there behind the, behind the desk. Hmm? Oh, I didn't believe it. You imagine that day when Christ is fully moving through us and people walk up, the Steves, the disbelievers, the people that you tell things through to, and they don't believe in the Mornays, and they see you sitting there, and they know you've already told them what's getting ready to happen. They know that you've already talked about, you understand it, and they walked away from it. The Anthonys, the Bryans, hmm? Can you imagine standing in a line 30 miles long and you could see the judges up behind the thrones? Can you imagine that day? Can you imagine being in this church with every thought and intention? See, everybody thinks that this is going to happen at the end of it all. It's already started happening. But all of a sudden, the Lord's getting ready to flip the switch. If the fullness of God is in me, if the fullness of God is in you, what does that look like? Does God know everything? Yep. Does he know the thoughts and the intentions of your heart? Yeah. So if he knows the thoughts and the intentions of your heart, we're going to know. Those that step over into that fullness of God are going to know the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Matter of fact, we're going to be able to go back and say, you lied to me here, 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 and here. You lied. Meaning, you should have told me the truth, but now you've been living under that lie. And according to the law, there's no forgiveness for you because you're a liar. You didn't ask for forgiveness. You did this, 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 and this. Imagine that. Looking right into the soul of the individual and saying, why isn't Jesus? I mean, just the ability, just these people that are going to come in and just say, you know, realizing that there's only one eternity for them. Scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, that the second judgment is that of unbelievers who will be judged at the great white throne judgment. The unbelievers will be judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And so those who have rejected Christ as Lord and Savior will be judged and based on their works alone. And because the Bible tells us that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified, according to Galatians 2.16, they will be condemned. So their good works will not save them. There's no amount of good works that are going to save those who are unbelievers, nor in keeping God's law. That's not going to be sufficient enough to atone for their sin. 
and all their thoughts, words, and actions will be judged against God's perfect standard and found wanting, and there will be no reward for them, only eternal condemnation and punishment. Notice who's judging. It's God. That is not us. And nowhere in Scripture are we told that we will know all the thoughts and all the intentions of people. That is an attribute that only God possesses. He is omniscient. We are not. So I hope that you can see the example here. This is an extreme example. But this man calls himself an apostle. He believes in the fivefold ministry. And um, he would... He considers himself in that league of having that type of authority. Now, when looking at all these clips, it would seem that the opposite attitude and behavior are being presented when we test them against Scripture. And the actions are not pointing back to Christ. They are all pointing back to self, if you'll notice that. It's all pointing back to the man or woman and the authority that they have and um, what they want people to do and the not not only the instruction, but the authority that they believe they carry and their conduct and behavior is unbecoming. It does actually bring reproach on the name of Christ when they do these types of behaviors. And they point also point back to sensationalism and charisma without good fruit. And the church needs godly men who lead the flock in the way worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, having said all that, when we talk about the leaders, there's one other thing I wanted to point out to before we end today. And one thing that it can be very easy to do is that we will look at leaders, especially when we come out of movements like this, and our tendency, and it's easy, we're human, but our tendency for myself and for you may be to look at the leaders and we want to put all the blame on them. We want to assign all of the responsibility on them for our our poor behavior, our bad decisions, and we don't take any personal responsibility. And I would argue that there is some shared responsibility in that because we have submitted ourselves under such wrong teaching and deception and we haven't been good stewards of the word of God and that we we were biblically illiterate and we weren't accountable and responsible for our own understanding of scripture. We a- allow for someone else to feed us without taking the time to feed ourselves in our private study time. And with that, too, as individuals, there's a high standard for us as believers of conduct, and it's not reserved just for the leadership, but as lay people, we are to act in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, Paul encouraged the the churches, the believers in Philippi and uh, Ephesus and such, that they were to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that is no different for us. And even in Romans 12, for example, I know we're talking about leaders today, but I always think that this is such a good passage to go to, and it's encouraging, and it's convicting. But in Romans 12, we see the marks of the true Christian. Marks, uh, uh, We see uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that doesn't just apply to leaders. And this applies to everyone who calls himself a believer in Christ, both leader in the church and lay people in the church. We as all believers are called to this standard of honoring Christ in our conduct and in our manner. And so as we close this out today, I want to um, just offer these things for consideration. And these are things that I've had to consider myself and weigh them and to repent of actions. Um, Leaders are responsible for their own actions, but so are we as believers in Christ. And one of the things I have found in this movement um, when I was part of it, and again, I take responsibility. I'm not passing the buck and saying that it's all the leader's fault for doing this. But one thing I have noticed is, is that we can certainly be influenced by the company that we keep. And one of the things I noticed in being in this movement was, is that I was um, prideful and arrogant and I had a a belligerent attitude at times towards people and and an arrogant attitude. And um, because, uh, you know, sometimes it can be with the influence of leaders and sometimes it's your own personal way. Sometimes you're having a bad day, like we talked about earlier with Jennifer LeClaire. But I do see this pattern in this type of movement is that when you're under people that have this type of way about them and they're prideful and arrogant and they're just brash and and they're very uh, belligerent about things or they're very just to the point and matter of fact and they're not kind and they're not patient and they're not loving and gentle, you know, a demonstrating fruit of the spirit, that you will tend to adopt that same type of mannerism and that same pattern. And you'll say, well, it's just because I'm a bold in the spirit and that's the way I'm going to be. But is that honor? Christ. That's the that's the question that it comes down to. Are we honoring Christ? And so one thing I can attest to is having been a part of that is is and sitting under that is it had an effect on me. Whether I realize it or not at the time, I know it now. And I want you to consider that as well. Have there been things that you've sat under that have affected you in that manner that maybe you weren't aware of it? That maybe you didn't know what the the guidelines were, the 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 requirements were for godly leaders. And now that causes you to look at scripture better and look at it from a biblical standpoint, or maybe that you now are starting to recognize, well, some of these marks of a true Christian in Romans 12, they really don't, they don't define, there's still things that God is working in me. And there's things that I need to take before him in prayer and repent of these things and help and ask his, and ask the Holy Spirit to help me to um, be refined and to be corrected in these ways. This is what I would encourage you in. I don't want to just paint the all of these people as villains because yes, there is false teaching that goes on and there are things that are being done in error and God is not being glorified and I believe that false teaching and false gospel is being presented in a lot of these areas. Having said that, all of us as individuals are going to have to give an account for our actions, whether as believers at the Bama seat of Christ um, or as, as unbelievers at the great white throne judgment for those who do not have rejected Christ and do not put their saving faith in Christ. We have to understand that we will be accountable and we want to glorify Christ in everything that we do in word and deed uh, while we're here and we want to um, be with him for eternity and to enjoy him forever. And so we each take responsibility for our own actions. And so having said that, if there's anybody that's listening to this episode and I was unkind to you, that I was harsh and abrasive and I was prideful or arrogant with you in the years that I was part of that church, I sincerely repent to you right now. And I continue to express that repentance for my own behavior and conduct in this movement. And one of the the great things that has come out of this, one of the many gifts and blessings, there's been so many in coming out of this, is learning proper biblical humility and learning 
learning that humility, repentance is a gift for one thing. Humility is a gift. There's so many things that are upside down to the world that they don't understand. But humility is a beautiful thing. And we are called to be humble. And that's a strength as a believer in Christ. And I, and I acknowledge that that behavior did not represent Christ or testify of his nature. And it is important that we each take inventory of our own actions and conduct to make sure we are glorifying Christ and demonstrating fruit in accordance with his spirit. So I hope today's episode has been helpful to you. And I'm also going to post a link in the description um, from Mission Bible Church. It's a really good resource to check out, but they talk about spiritual abuse. And so I think this would be a very helpful um, a sermon for you to listen to. And they have some other helpful sermons that are very good, very helpful, very biblically sound. So I'm going to put that link in the description. Please check that out. And I look forward to being with you next week as we cover another topic that is going to help us go back to the word and maybe address some error and issues that we've dealt with in the past. And if you don't mind, please feel free to leave me a review. If you really enjoy this podcast, leave a five-star review on the platform that you listen to. And I would love to hear your feedback and your comments. I'm always open to um, to questions, to comments, even criticism. If you, if you don't like it, you can share that with me and maybe we can have a discussion about it. But until next time, be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.